so we've got a really good podcast here today. We've got a real trooper here. So I reached out to uh, this individual about a month ago on on Twitter, and I said, "Look, I, I really like your story. I'd love to have you on the podcast." And she said, "Absolutely, of course." And then uh, we met uh, just a few moments ago, and and she has laryngitis. So uh, a real trooper. She's still here, and uh, we're gonna have a good conversation. Um, so. I have the president of the CBA, the Canadian Bar Association, Vivine Salmon. Salmon, there you go. Salmon with me. We practiced that before. Vivine, thanks for coming out. Well, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And like I said, I apologize for catching laryngitis on the worst day. So hopefully we'll be okay to speaking this afternoon. Yeah. And so one thing that attracted me to uh, just, I guess, want to reach out to you is I, I, I took note that you're the first uh, black female uh, president of the CBA, and I thought that was interesting because it dovetails with a lot of the conversations I've been having on this podcast about race uh, in law and, and racialized lawyers and uh, the experiences that racialized lawyers are facing, and I know that you're aware of a lot of those uh, debates, and I just wanted to first get your reflections on that issue. Well, of course, I'm a racialized lawyer myself. Um and it's been a unique spot to be the first racialized president and specifically the first black president and I guess specifically the first black woman president in this role. Um, so in any first, of course, that you want to do the best job you can in terms of the way you represent yourself in the role and, of course, to extending that to the community. Um, and I think also being the first, I would hope that I'm not first and last, my goal would be that I might have had the honor to be the first, but I'm hoping that this is just a way that we can entrench racialized people deeper into the very institution of the Canadian Bar Association, as well as other institutions across our country with respect to law. I also think that it's really important to have these difficult conversations. I think there's been a lot of discussion about diversity, inclusion, but I always feel the linchpin is the third one, belonging, because it's easy to be in a room where you just add a couple other, you know, people to the mix and hey yes check we have diversity and then within that group okay in that group of people okay we had a conversation with this guy so check inclusion yeah to me i don't see it like that because as a, as a person of color i've been in a room where i clearly felt that i wasn't welcome in the conversation or welcome in the room I remember even one time somebody subtly turned their back on me and I thought, is that inclusion? Because it was very subtle, but I knew what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so um, those are kind of difficult things to have with communities when you haven't experienced the sting of that yourself. And so I think that's a good place to kind of bridge out here because I'm not sure if anybody listening or everybody listening is aware of the summit. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So last year for the first time, the Canadian Bar Association had the Racialized Leadership Boot Camp and that was held here in Toronto at the Toronto Board of Trade, which was a national conference. And that conference was aimed at lawyers who were um, zero to 10 years of call. That conference was aimed at 
setting the groundwork um, or framework for younger lawyers to think about these issues in terms of their career early on? How do they ascend to positions of leadership? Because, you know, I would say most people are very intelligent or smart. They've gone through law school. They've done the drill. But how do they get where they want in their career? Um, So at that session, we had several judges in the community speak. We had um, political leaders speak. We had people that were general counsel speak. Um, So it was very, very impactful, not only for me as an organizer with my team of organizers helping me, but I think it was very impactful. And so many people told me that that was the best Canadian Bar Association conference that they've ever been to because not only was it emotional, but it was sharing difficult information and and positioning that so that people didn't feel that they were being blamed as minorities for why minorities haven't ascended in the profession. Because I think there's many people that are smart people. Many people didn't get hired back at the firm, not just people of color, but who go on to have brilliant careers. So it's not just about... um, of one set of skills. It's about a whole roster of skills and understanding that you're a very smart, intelligent person, but you need help in certain areas. So the conference that we had today was following up from that success and targeting this conference now for lawyers that have 10 or more years of experience. Okay. And so the the summit, it's called the Senior Racialized Summit? So there's two. The, the Racialized Leadership Boot Camp is the leadership conference that we run in the spring starting last year and then in the december in the winter then we have the senior leadership summit which is a leadership conference focused now on the senior people in the group right okay and that's interesting so that's actually the first time i've, I've heard about this initiative i feel like i've been um really keen and really eager to, to pick up on it, but this is the first time I've heard of it. And so it sounds like uh, the boot camp and the summit, it's focused on racialized lawyers. So it's not the, the, the target audience. It's not in general. It's for racialized lawyers, correct? Yes, because yeah. clearly there's challenges within the profession, right. especially I think as racialized people ourselves, um, we see the talent within our community. We see people passed over for jobs that they're actually the perfect person for the job, but why are they not getting jobs? Or why are they not succeeding to positions of leadership? Why are their talents not being recognized? And it's not blaming this other group of people over here and saying that these people are trying to hold us back. It's not saying that. It's saying that racism and colonialism and all these problems are institutional problems. And it's incumbent for all of us to look at how do we solve these very challenging um, problems as well as legal problems if we believe in those principles of equality and and in a world that should support those principles. Right. And so you just came from a summit today. What's next on this uh, this agenda here? Well, the summit today was amazing. Um, Julia Shindoy, who is the general counsel at Ryerson, was the organizer for the senior um, racialized summit with her team. Um, I was the organizer for the other one that happened in the spring. And I think it's amazing to have um, that level of support now at this um, this leadership level ourselves. Absolutely. Um, we had Donna Walwyn, who is very well known in, in the Canadian legal community and for 
long time was the president of the Canadian um, Black Lawyers Association. We had Hilda Wong. Um, we had so many amazing speaker. I think one of the highlights of the day was Helen Hayward, um, who was a senior Asian lawyer that provided so many impactful advice um for for people in that room it, it was just um phenomenal yeah we also had a professor mark weber who is from the university of waterloo um, talk a lot about the psychology of organizational behavior um and how many people really take the easy path and and that's something as racialized people where we're the different ones how does that impact us when the bigger community around us takes the less tr or the easier path and and how do we use tools in terms of our own success that these things that we don't have control over block us because there's things we have control over and there's things we don't but I think the whole thing is is not blaming a community for where they're at, but understanding that um, equality is like some people I would say are more equal than others. Yeah. And understanding that if we really want equality, then certain barriers have to be recognized and tools have to be done to eliminate those barriers. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and today was a, a, a gathering of senior lawyers. Uh, to what extent did mentorship come come into play because I know uh, you're passionate about young lawyers and I know that you just came from a gathering with uh, senior racialized lawyers. I mean, what was this, the discussion, if anything, about mentorship? Because I know, uh, I mean, I guess I would still consider myself a young lawyer, younger. I'm, I'm six years out. Um, at, or at least I'm, I'm young enough to know <laughs> yes. or to remember what it was like starting out and really looking for good mentors. And I do have good mentors. I could always use more. And I know there's so many other uh, young lawyers who didn't have that that opportunity. So I'm just wondering if that came into the discussion at all. Today. Yes, it, it came up, um, spent sponsorship and mentorship. And it also came up in an interesting way, I think, that resonated with senior lawyers and many people. And one of the, the um, comments were, and I don't remember if it was Mark Weber, who was a um, professor from the University of Waterloo who said it, but he it, it was said that... Um, you know, on your way up, you want sponsors, but you don't think of it the other way is that when you're a senior person, you're also thinking about who to sponsor and who who to seem to be sponsored because that also reflects on you. Yeah. And that was something that, quite frankly, I never thought about it quite that other way in terms of how people it, it not necessarily explicitly, but implicitly pick people that they they want to sponsor who they think will either bring them more business or reflect in their firm. But for most people's success, they have a sponsor or a mentor at some point in their career. Right. So, yes, it did come up, but it, it came up in a way that... Um, I think I personally didn't hear it framed in quite that way. I've, I've always heard it framed in more of that traditional way where, yes, you should get a sponsor and the sponsor should, you know, take your hand and advocate for you and all these things. But it made me realize, yes, when you're looking for that sponsorship relationship, you also have to understand that for the sponsor, they might not even ex explicitly do it, but they're also looking for the right person to sponsor because that person also reflects on them right. giving their time. There can be reciprocal yeah. benefits and yeah. things like and that. Yeah, and that was interesting to me because then it was also talking 
talking about unconscious, unconscious bias and people Absolutely. self-selecting out in terms of they f- might feel or have prejudices that that person is not bringing a book of business, but yet you don't really know yeah. who their social circle is. I think particularly um, in Toronto, and this was made at the beginning of the conference, it's that w- there's been so many studies about... Um, the need for diversity and how and the business case for diversity to the point I think many racialized people are tired about hearing the business case for diversity because the statistics are so strong yeah right and so I think it's moving past that now and for us it's not just like talking about it and talking about leadership and diversity and it's talking about that pin that linchpin like I said at the beginning diversity inclusion and belonging and belonging as an equal where your voice is equally as heard where you feel and society feels that you not only um deserve leadership positions but you have an important voice and and a leadership position should not be withheld from you or assigned to only a certain group of people if we truly as a society believe in those principles of democracy of inclusion of equality yeah and and also that we we value that the perspective is different, right? Right. And then that's the business case for it. But like you said, we've heard it a million times. And it's funny you mentioned about the the unconscious bias in uh, sponsorship and and mentorship. Uh, Trisha Lewis was uh, on my second episode of the podcast, the first guest I had. And she essentially said the exact same thing. I mean, uh, I could paraphrase, but I think you basically paraphrased what she said, which was... um, there's an unconscious or maybe an invisible hand, if you will, when it comes to mentorship and who gets the best mentors and the best sponsors. And it's just something we don't, we haven't thought consciously about until recently. And then when you think about it, you say, well, yeah, that's true. And, and, and quite often, I think almost always, it's not necessarily uh, nefarious or intentional, but it still exists, right? And just to shift gears here into a different conference that you're involved in is I know you're involved in the Young Young Lawyers Conference. Yeah. So as you know, is um, a part of my prior personal priorities as the Canadian Bar Association president is I am very much focused on young lawyers, on having an intergenerational dialogue in the legal profession. I think that there has been so many changes made um, in the profession, particularly since the 2008-2009 global recession. I think there has been so much um, in illegal disruptors, innovators who have changed the legal profession and I think the legal profession is um, trying to catch up. So I am very focused on that. And so in June, I've asked our National Young Lawyers to have a National Young Lawyers Conference here in Toronto. Um, now, wait, can I stop you there? Mm-hmm. Some people might be wondering, what's the cutoff? Like, what's... <laughs> like, <laughs> well, at what point are we no longer a young lawyer? Well, I don't consider myself a young okay. lawyer anymore. Um, but um, but typically the definition is that we traditionally use is um, 10 years of experience or less right. or under 40 years of age. That's but fair. I'm sure like no one's yeah. checking your birth certificate. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, I think given my other focus in terms of intergenerational dialogue, I also think there's people that young are young 
at heart. And I also think we need those voice. And so um, we have, our young lawyers have asked um, Chief Justice Richard Wagner of the Supreme Court of Canada to be one of our speakers and he is accepted. So I'm very, very excited about that. And he has talked a lot about innovation on the courts. So the focus and theme of the conference is innovation. So it will touch on um, topics as such as ethics, um, we were recently um, visiting McCarthy's as part of our um, partner firm visits, and McCarthy's is quite an interesting firm in terms of innovation, and they have talked within their firm themselves and done a lot of work within the firm about diversity and inclusion within the firm as being in an innovative driver. So I have found that very, very interesting. Um, so very excited to see how this conference unfolds, um, um, carried out by our, by our young lawyers here in Toronto in the spring, June 4th and fifth um, and um, hoping that many people will be able to attend from across the country and I'm just wondering have you always had the passion or the interest in young lawyers I mean I guess I just I don't hear it a lot and maybe that's another reason why I'm a fan of you is you know I see the work you've done with wellness or the interest you've had in it and we'll talk about that in a few moments racialized lawyers young young lawyers kind of hitting all the boxes that I'm interested in in but have you always had that interest in uh, young lawyers and, and encouraging them and empowering them? Well, for me, I was a chair of young lawyers in Ontario um, back in the day, <laughs> dare I say. Um, so, you know, I'm very, very interested. And it was something as chair of young lawyers, um, it was another young lawyer who encouraged, encouraged long to be a, um, a young lawyer member in the Ontario bar. I'm so always grateful for him for that. Um, but, you know, as I started rising up within young lawyers myself, I realized how passionate I was about it. And I really, really loved being the chair of young lawyers for the Ontario branch. And then a subs Consequently, I um, rose in the National um, Young Lawyers of the Canadian Bar Association, where I was the VP then before I got elected um, to be now the vice president and now the president. So it's something that, yes, I'm very interested in because I think um, it's a, it's something that everybody was a young lawyer once. I think the profession is changing so much. I think very senior people can remember what it was like to be starting out, like yeah. you said, how difficult it is, not knowing who to go to you for help, um, feeling that you're all alone, like struggling with so many issues, like feeling that you're never going to get a job, no one takes you seriously, how do you get your first client, um, how do you deal with difficult situations that happen with respect to wellness, all these things. Um, so I think having a respectful dialogue between the generations is very important. And so that's why I'm hoping that the Young Lawyers National Conference can achieve that and have the conversation. I, I know you know, too, that I have my own podcast as well, yes. Conversations with the President. Right. And in that eight series, eight to 10 series podcast, I will be exploring many of these issues touching on young lawyers with respect to articling, with respect to technology and disruption, with respect to wellness. Um, so all of these things. So yes, it's something that I'm very interested in, and, and I and I feel it's something that makes me tech. And before we bridge into wellness, uh, which will will be our last topic that we cover, I wanted to just get the plug in a little bit more for the the podcast. So um, it's conversation. It's called Conversations with the President. Mm-hmm. You're the host. Um, so for listeners, they'll listen to your podcast if they want to hear or if they're interested in what. So, as I said, we were focusing on young lawyers, inter- intergenerational dialogue. 
um, we'll have a series of legal leaders um, talk about topics ranging from wellness, um, topics ranging from legal disruption, innovation in the legal profession, mentorship, sponsorship, um, giving advice. When all my podcast series are finished, I've asked every guest um, at the end to give one statement about the advice that they give to younger lawyers. So my very last one will combine everybody's in rapid fire. Um, We've had um, the new dean of the Ryerson um, Law School come and speak to us in the podcast as well. So I feel it's a very, very topical, timely discussion to have in the legal profession between senior and young lawyers about the changes in the profession and how young lawyers can prepare themselves, especially for those who see the legal career as a long-term career that they want to stay in for the long haul. Absolutely. And when does the podcast start? When's the So the first one date? came out on November 7th. Okay. Um, All right. So you've just gained yeah. one new subscriber in me. <laughs> Thank That's you. for sure. And, and you can... Find us on Spotify, on Stitcher. Yeah, I'm on um, Spotify. And, and so. on Apple as well. Yeah, okay, great. And so, yeah, let's get into wellness. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, and I think any anybody who's a lawyer, anybody who's close to, married to, related to a lawyer, somebody who's in law school, um, can understand that the demands it has on that person and, and the difficulty of it. And it's it's interesting because... I find lawyers are difficult or tough on themselves, tough on other lawyers. Uh, It it creates challenges in the home life. I mean, just a lot of things that um, can have deleterious and negative effects on mental health. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's not a new conversation on mental health or wellness, but I feel like we've just been having a conversation a lot. Um, But, but, I think it's I think it's good that we're having it, and I think it's good that we're I think we're moving into a place where there's a little bit more action associated with it. But I wanted to talk to you about that because I know that was a part of your uh, vision as CBA president. I know that's another passion of yours. It's a passion of mine. So I just wanted to to get your thoughts uh, and your reflections on that. My mother was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. Um, not too long after I was called to the bar, so I know what it feels like watching somebody and going through all that emotional devastation um, when that person is effectively being taken from you slowly, right? And so I know how... all the while you're in a demanding program and you're working your hardest to... Mm -hmm. So I, I know I know how that toll it takes, and I know especially in the racialized community and black community being part of those communities, I know um, having discussions about mental illness, I know some communities struggle with those kind of topics. I think there's increasingly as well with the broader community being more awareness and more um, educational activities around that, which I think is very important. But I also think, and at least in the black community, I feel, especially with black women, that we carry um, a a big weight in a sense in terms of a lot of us um, having to play a fundamental matriarchal role in the culture and in the society, right? And that can also take its toll on the mental health of a lot of our black female lawyers as well, because you are given a very, in a way, responsible role within the community in a way as the matriarchs of the community. 
Um, so it's a it's a very important discussion. I know within Ontario, there's been many um, senior legal leaders before me, including uh, presidents of the CBA and presidents of the Ontario Bar Association that have talked a lot about these issues and ha- have elevated them in a way more than I ever could. But I'm hoping my small voice and my my small story can maybe help other people, especially in the racialized um, community. Yeah, it's it's good to hear that. And I'm happy that we have mediums like this where we can share that because as you were telling your story, it sounded a lot like mine. So uh, when when my family, uh, we were born in Toronto, I was born in Toronto and we moved to Halifax and uh, my mother was working. And so my grandmother would take care of me while my mother was working. And uh, so we were always very, very close to my grandmother. And she passed away while I was writing my bar exams. And it just devastated me for the rest of my articling year. And and I remember, and these are friends of mine, I mean, but they just couldn't understand why I was so hurt by my grandmother because... Of course. And well, I felt that same way. Yeah, no one can understand. They're like, it's a grandmother. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's but it's different. not. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's like, she's, my mother was in my life, yeah. but she was kind of like, a, you know, she was oh, more yeah. than a grandmother that I saw every month. Um, so it's, it's good that we can share that. And I know there's so many other people that have that experience mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So it's good to hear that. So, uh, Super trooper, uh, you know, I, I can't believe it. You've got laryngitis. The tea is empty now. <laughs> There's still a few fishermen's friends on the table. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we said we would do this uh, a bit short, but the conversation ran long. But I really do appreciate you coming in. I know you've, you've lost your voice and I know you've been running around, but I appreciate it. Uh, and I thank you for taking time out. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please follow us on SoundCloud. Subscribe on iTunes podcast and feel free to share and spread the word.